It's interesting too, that like you almost can't have a civil conversation about diet because for some reason it's been turned into like this culture war, right? You Mm. can't have a conversation about, um, you know, oh, like I eat it for these reasons. Like, like you had said, a lot of it feels very soapboxy. Like mm-hmm. Shay, I think for some weird reason, like we we run a, for a podcast, we have an Instagram account where we'll upload like, you know, clips and um, sneak peeks in our episodes and whatever. And I think Shay started following some like vegan accounts. So like every now and then I'll be scrolling and they'll be like, this little pig saw the movie Babe and wanted mm-hmm. to be a movie star. But now it's a bologna sandwich that some kid doesn't even appreciate. I bet you feel like crap. And I'm like, I do. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, it just makes me like stuff like that just makes me want to eat meat more. Like, and it's, right. it's weird because like, I know that's um, such a, a horrible way to think about it, but um, it's, it's weird that uh, the extent to which I, I think diet has become politicized. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, if you take into account that idea of like, well, you know, you are what you eat. I, I think it's important to kind of think about it and, and talk about diet. Welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brian Black, and today's episode, we're bringing back the old conversation of the plant-based versus meat-based diets. Anyone who's listening to this podcast knows it's a topic that I hold near and dear to my heart, and it's one that I definitely enjoy talking about. Um, and to change it up a little bit for this episode, I actually have two guests. Uh, I'm going to let them both introduce themselves and talk about their project a little bit. So uh, take it away, guys. Hi, it's me, Shay. I am uh, the number one co-host of Campry Education, a podcast boot camp into the world. <laughs> thought you knew and of course i'm joined here today with uh the magnificent ian Rowe, who is uh the only thing bigger than his nose is his ego ian take it away i shared my hand before we started recording i shared my hand and i was like hey when we go live i want to tell everybody i'm i'm the better looking co-host and uh weaseled your way in there yeah sorry yeah, uh, so now is probably a good, a good time as ever to let you know that Shay is actually the big, the, li- the biggest liar of our podcast. He's mm-hmm. the guy that you can't trust. He's just an absolute scoundrel. So um, he's disgusting, uh, inside and out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm real pleasant on the eyes. I've got great opinions, uh, a really melodic voice. So uh, I'm great, good for you. <laughs> I also played right in your ego thing. Dang it. <laughs> Awesome. So I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to this episode. I think it's gonna be a fun one. And uh, we've been kind of, you know, trying to figure out uh, what uh, format we want to go about this. But basically, the, the topic of discussion is plant based versus meat based diets, you know, I don't and how, how so basically, the way you guys were explaining it to me is, Ian, you're you're more of a meat based diet kind of guy, not necessarily all meat, but you know, you eat more meat in your diet than than yeah than uh, Shay does and Shay you're more plant-based you mentioned so why don't we start there why don't you guys kind of go into um you know why you guys uh eat the diets that you do if there's any history with that and just you know because it's a central question for every episode I do uh do you guys have any you know background or experience in agriculture that that might lead to this kind of discussion uh, I, would say I, no. I have a lot of family with uh, who own farms. Okay. Um, uh, a lot of family who own farms. Okay. Let me, yeah, I've got two. Uh, um, <laughs> I had a, I've got, a, I've got a grandfather who owns a small farm uh, up in McKaysville. And then I have another family that owns far a farm up in Maine. And, mm. uh, the McKaysville farm is more like, you know, like veggies and then like a, a very few livestock. And uh, the main farm is like a goat farm. So they've got just like tons of goats and they do goat milk, goat meat, you know, goat butter, whatever, whatever you got to do with goats, goat cheese. 
And um, then there's some horses and cows scattered about. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. And yeah, I don't think I have any background with um, with any kind of farming. Mostly just um, we like we breed uh, dogs for dog fighting, and that's mm. pretty much it. Just. A... <laughs> 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 oh my uh, I'm, god! Uh, I'm totally just kidding. Uh, I'm the vegetarian one, so I, I'm, I'm allowed to make these jokes. It's okay. What? Uh, I don't want to hear anything like that out of your mouth. Ian. <laughs> it's not okay for you to say it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess like I just, um, so yeah, so I, I do the vegetarian based diet. I don't know. I don't honestly don't know why or when it started. I was like, it's, I've been like vegetarian for like eight years or something. I, I it, you know what it was? Of a, a girl, like it was because of a girl and she was like, I'm vegan. And you were like, me too. Okay. That's the reason. I'm just that's so ashamed. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's yes. Yeah, so I started uh, dating someone and she's like, you should really be vegetarian. I was like, I'll do anything you tell me to. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I've been vegetarian since then. So that was like 2012. And wow. uh, it, it's, you know, it's much, much later after then right now. So mm. uh, and then yeah, Ian, you just you just kill animals for fun, right? Just <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Uh, I actually have an Instagram dedicated to that. It's called watch me murk this toad. Uh, that's my handle. No, you know, what's funny. I actually just remember this, too, is um for a brief period of time, like we, we lived together um, in school and uh, Shay was a vegetarian and I was just like, you know what, why not? Like, I'll, I'll try this, sure. And uh, I did it for a bit and then I moved to Lebanon and uh, I didn't know the word for vegetables in Arabic. So I was just like, <laughs> of course you knew all the words for me in Arabic, right? <laughs> Yeah, I just I just made the animal sounds like moo. Ah, and like, oh, here's the meat section. And I what did you like, do? What do for chicken? Make sound, Shay. So I was back to it was back to meat. I'm just curious, <laughs> what's the chicken sound you made? Uh, um, actually, it's uh, <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> Come on, Ian, Dan. All right, but yeah, I've been trying to get Ian on back on the vegetable wagon ever since he fell from grace those those years ago. But uh, I don't know uh, why he doesn't do it. But uh, but Brennan, how about you, man? What what's your uh, what's your leaning? Are you uh, are you on my side or are you on Ian's? What you know, whatever he's got going on. You know, uh, I have to personally say that I um, am a big fan of meat. Um, I was <laughs> I was raised around uh, dairy and beef ranches my whole life, so I've always been kind of raised into that lifestyle. Um, you know, I grew up eating steak and hamburgers every day, and that's that's remained my my main diet um, for most of my most of my meals is, is either hamburger or some other form of meat, you know, but, um, I do enjoy my, my vegetables as well. I'm, I, I like to say I'm fairly balanced in terms of my, my diet, but, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely don't, uh, don't criticize either side for their, you know, for their choices. But, uh, I always say, you know, as long as you're, uh, as long as you're nice about it, then you can eat whatever you want, but right. that's kind of my, my mentality. So I'm kind of curious, uh, we'll, we'll go to, to Shay first. You said that you're a vegetarian, which is an interesting um, word for it because there's a lot of different words to describe a plant-based diet nowadays. So yeah. what limitations do you put in your diet? Do you eat, you know, eggs and, and milk and, and that kind of stuff, or is it completely just, just plant-based? So I've done like a, a few different varieties of this. I started off vegetarian for like two months and then I went vegan for almost two years. And then I never really gave up on veganism, but I stopped I started cheating like a lot. Mm. And so you're not using the word, yeah. but the thing you're describing is the act of giving T up tomato, tomato. Um, <laughs> and so I, uh, so like when I go to a, a grocery store, like it's super weird. I mean, my rules are super idiosyncratic for my own diet, but, uh, but here they are. I, um, 
when I go to a grocery store and I'm like buying my groceries, like the, the bulk of my food, that's all totally vegan, no dairy. Um, you know, so that's totally plant-based. If I eat out at a restaurant, uh, I will do vegetarian because it's, it's a lot harder to find no non-dairy options, you know, at most places. I mean, almost everywhere has a vegetarian option, at least mm -hmm. in some regard. And then uh, for a while, and this might be uh, alarming to some people, I was a dumpster diver. So I would uh, go to uh, supermarkets and take out food um, that they, they had thrown away either because it had gone bad or it was returned or something. And if there was returned meat or, you know, something like that, uh, oftentimes I would eat that, especially like, you know, frozen meat, something like that, where it was, I would get it out of the dumpster. It was still frozen. It expired that day. You know, I would still eat that as well. Um, and, and same would go if someone bought like a pepperoni pizza at a party. You know, and it's like, all right, well, we're about to throw this pepperoni pizza away. But like, all right, not so fast. <laughs> that's for me. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so yeah, that's been uh, that's been my. But you know, I grew up eating all the fun stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you know, burgers and steaks, and I mean, I still occasionally, every once in a while, I get real, uh, real. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> Nostalgic for it, and I just, you know, like I love chicken salad, man. You can't. It's so hard to 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 not to pass up a chicken salad when you see a good looking one, but. Um, but yeah, for the most part, that's that's how it is. It's erotic, man. That was the that was the sexiest <laughs> description of a chicken salad. Like sometimes, man, one walks by and you just ooh. <laughs> yeah, awesome. maybe for you. All right. <laughs> okay. But, um, so, oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. No, well, I was, I was gonna, I was just, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Shay. Well, I was just gonna ask you, Ian, why you uh, how you how you gave up on it so easily. I don't know. It was it was more just a thing I was like curious about. Like, um, anyone who's met me will tell you that like I'm super interested in like trying things out. Uh, like, mm. I'll, I'll definitely put my money where my mouth is. That's kind of what our podcast is. Mm. Like, literally, our podcast is like, well, I have an opinion about this, but I've never actually done it. So I, I think I'm going to be more uh, intellectually honest and give it a go, and then develop an opinion. So um, for vegetarianism, I was like, why not? Um, and it was not hard but it wasn't as enjoyable as eating meat and that may also be like a cultural thing like culturally like there's just meat everywhere and i think that was one of the things i was thinking about for today too just in terms of my uh like being aware of my diet more conscious of it it's like i think americans in general eat a lot more meat than other cultures like i've lived um uh in several other countries i lived in uh, i did a little stint in germany um, I did a spell in Lebanon. I spent a little bit of time in uh, Nicaragua, and then I lived in South Korea for a long time. And um, I feel like most of the food, I mean, while it has meat in it, it's not like here where it's like you order something and it, like half meat of your is plate the is meat. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Like meat is like, you know, they, it's a little accoutrement. So um, yeah, you know what's so funny too is like uh, Shay mentions he's been trying to bring me back over to vegetarianism. Like vegetarian is something I'm interested in getting back into, but being more of like a flexitarian, where it's like I'm eating significantly less meat, probably much less than like the average American, um, but not giving it up like entirely. Like, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit. But one of the reasons is just kind of like uh, I, I guess the way that meat is produced in the around the world like the, the the harmful effects of like um industrial you know meat production or whatever like factory farming um which i definitely want to hear your opinions on because you're you're the pro and it's this is one of those things where i'm like you know i got some opinions on this i don't think i know that much about it but ooh, i'll tell you all about how i feel about it all right so I'm actually, you know, this this might come uh, interesting to you guys. I'm actually looking at a list right now of uh, different countries ranked by their uh, percentage of vegetarians. Mm. And 
So interestingly enough, the United States is is a little bit on the lower spectrum. Like you said, we do eat more meat than than a lot of countries, but we're definitely not the lowest. I mean, like um, there are countries like Thailand, Portugal, uh, let's see here, uh, Spain, um, a lot of like those European countries around like the Portugal, Spain area seem to be um, very meat centric, which makes sense because they're very agricultural uh, communities. Um, Australia, which again, makes sense. Um which is interesting. Greece too is, is a, you know, is a low one. Um, some of the other states are, or some of the other countries, I mean, are a little bit higher in terms of their, their uh, vegetarian rates, but a lot of the state or a lot of the countries, it seems like that are uh, more, uh, that are more like meat based tend to be the countries that are much more productive in terms of their animal agriculture uh, production, you know, with, with uh, whether it's beef or chick or chicken or sheep or goat, or whatever, those countries I just list- listed off are very, um, agriculturally productive, mostly in livestock. So I guess that, that, that might be kind of the correlation is, you know, as a country produces more livestock, it has a, a lower vegetarian rate. And that might just be because of ex- accessibility to food. Mm. Accessibility. And probably, al- probably also promotion too. It's like the right. USDA here, like we, you know, we have the dual mandate or whatever they call like half of the, the not even half, like, you know, a portion of the job is to like protect consumers and, um, mm-hmm. you know, promote a healthy eating lifestyle. And like, the, a huge percent of the USDA is just promoting it. It's like, eat right. more meat, whatever we make, if we make meat, eat it, you know? So like, <laughs> yeah. it would make sense at least somewhat for them to like, you know, ha- want to, you know, the, if there's a financial incentive, obviously it's like, well, let's just, let's keep eating meat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so I got a quick question about that list too. Like, do they, okay. cause I feel like Americans eat a lot more beef than other countries. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, when I lived in Lebanon, like lamb was, was relatively big. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had right. a lot of kebab and, and stuff like that. Um, and when I lived in Korea, like pork was immensely popular because mm-hmm. I think like beef is, is tough for a smaller country like South Korea to produce. Mm-hmm. And they would get a lot of their beef from um, Australia, which doesn't surprise because Australia is basically just like Florida if it were a continent. Pretty much. <laughs> dangerous and, and uh, wild. So, you know, ironically enough, Australia has a very productive um, like beef uh, industry. You know, they, they, they produce beef like it's going out of style. Florida doesn't produce that much beef. They're not very agriculturally productive in terms of beef. What is their big thing then? Like, what are they? Citrus. Oranges? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is extra embarrassing for Ian because Ian's born and raised in Florida. <laughs> I wasn't I mean, born in Florida. Joke's on you. Right. Yeah, you I mean, win, Ian. You win. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong. Like, Florida, obviously, there's going to be some, you know, some level of beef production in Florida, but most of their uh, agricultural uh, industry is, is fueled by their citrus, you know, mostly oranges. Mm. Um, but ironically enough, you know, Florida is, is famed as, like, having, like, the best oranges they're second best to California. California is by far the best orange yeah. producing state. Which is um, all we have. Well, I think Cal- <laughs> California also like lets us have that. They're like, I just let them, just let them have the oranges. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's it's funny because there's so many states that are like the best at their particular product, and California is actually the best at it. But California is like, you can have this one. It's okay. Like <laughs> yeah, we'll, we, we'll take almonds and avocado. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, like we let Wisconsin say that they're the top dairy state when in reality there's like a top five and it keeps fluctuating. But California is usually at the top. Oh, um, wow. Texas oh, wow. and New York are also up there. Um, really? uh-huh and new yeah york. yeah new york is actually so new york city is like one of the few cities in the state the rest of the state is just ag land it's just all farms i guess you that know? makes sense yeah the, yep. the rest of the state was like all right like the city was like you guys can have cows and something else right but, like, you know. well who yeah. wants to be the cheese head i feel like that's not like the, <laughs> hey, let's be the oh, cheese king cheese you know? you'd be surprised the the competition between california and wisconsin for who's the top dairy state is fierce like the dairymen get very competitive about it 
I it love the idea of like the Oakland Raiders, just like they just start wearing cheese heads to these games, just to just to flex on Wisconsin. Like we're taking everything from you. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. So like, I mean, obviously, like you know, the Midwest is is known for its beef cattle, and California isn't the top beef cattle state, but we are pretty good at beef cattle. And you know, like I think grapes is something that California has always been kind of like you know they've they've held over the mm-hmm. the reign of grapes, but. Um, like there's so many products that are grown in California that are grown in other states, but they're grown better in California. And yet those other states get the credit for being the best at, at growing that thing. Mm, I just think that's so, kind of funny. All right. So that, what, that is, what, what's the best state growing? Like what state is number one in their field? Like who, uh, you know, I was going to use a sports metaphor. And then who's I realized, the best I food state. I'll just ask a better question than Shay. Like who's the no, best food state. That question sucks, Ian. My question right, was answer, way better. Answer Shay's question first <laughs> and then mine next. Mine's right. still pretty good. All okay. right. Actually, be- better idea. Brennan, which is the better question? And then just answer that one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we have time for both. Let's. <laughs> I'm the moderator for this debate. I'll, I'll, I'll choose which questions to answer. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Shay, what was your question? All right. Uh, simply put, hopefully this time, Sorry, we'll say my question is, so like what 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 state then is the best state at producing their best product? So like if I was like a recording studio, fuck, I, I'm really struggling with metaphors. I was like sports. No, that doesn't work. Recording studio that doesn't work. <laughs> like, I guess like if uh, okay, like the New England China- Patriots, if you're keeping with sports. Well, sure. I don't, I don't get it, but sure. <laughs> me neither. I'm trying to help you out, man. Help me help you. <laughs> Okay, so let me let me see if I get, if I get this straight. So like, if a state is the best at its thing, like like how I said that there's different states that are best at their commodity, which state is the best at producing its its commodity? It's yeah, best commodity. exactly. Yeah. Okay. If I had to, and this this actually answers both of your questions because the best state at producing its best commodity is also the best state at produce is is also the best food state overall, and it's California. Hmm. And that's where you're from, right? That is where I'm from. I'm no from bias Tom. here at all. No, and it's I'm, actually I'm getting to doubt so, this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is the funny part about it. Like I would I used to go to um so I don't know if you guys are familiar with FFA at all. No. Okay. So FFA is the uh, Future Farmers of America. It's a youth leadership program in high school, and they actually mm. are in middle school now too. But uh, I was in FFA when I was in high school, and I used to go to our national convention, which takes place well. My first year was in Kentucky. Then they started doing it in Indiana. Um, while I was there, I would talk to kids from like all over the country and they would see California on my back and they're like, you're from California and you're at an ag, you know, uh, like a national convention. I was like, yeah. And they're like, what do you even grow in California? I was like, everything. I mean, what do you grow in your state? And they're like, well, we grow, we, you know, corn, barley, we have some beef cattle. It's like, yeah, well, we grow that plus a dairy, avocados, grapes, oranges, and, you know, pretty much any kind of citrus you can think of, almonds, pistachios, walnuts. And I just like started listing off all the commodities. They're like, California uh-huh. grows all that? It's like, yeah, we're not just Hollywood guys. We have a lot of stuff in California. You guys have like every climate, basically. Right. And that's got, why. Like, a ton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in in my hometown of Tulare, we're right in the smack dab middle of the Central Valley. So if you look at the, if you look at the map of California, we're like if you pointed right the middle, we're right there. So mm-hmm. we're in the you know we're in the very bottom of this big bowl, and basically because of of our topography, because of our location, and because of our climate, and like you mentioned, California has almost every climate that's possible in the world. Um, we are able to 
produce fertile or we actually uh, we don't actually don't produce it but we have the most fertile uh soil in in the world it actually used to belong to um, like mesopotamian land but that recently got um kind of taken over by by us because their land is no longer agriculturally productive so um we were much wow. better at producing our our food and so we kept the, the land fertile and, and and you know productive and so we really we grow the, as much food as we do and we grow as high quality food as we do just because of the combination of having such a large you know, variety of different climates and fertile soil and good practices. So you're telling me of create, I'm sorry, go ahead, Shay. Well, I'm just surprised. So you're telling me that the fertile crescent is now less fertile than California. It's actually, it's it now calls itself the less than fertile crescent. <laughs> 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 yeah. So due to, and that, like I said, this didn't used to be the case, but due to, you know, more modern agricultural uh, practices and because those areas are no longer being used for what they were originally used for. And that, you know, they're not being taken care of as much as they were. Um, the most fertile soils in, in the world have been granted to California. Wow. So interesting. So I've, I've got a question kind of, cause yeah. I mean, I was, I was, uh, after listening to your show, I was kind of curious to hear your thoughts on this. And mm -hmm. I, I know like, this is why, why Shane and I were here, but we talked a little bit about our diets. Um, but uh, I, I think, I don't know if Shay, for you, it's like a little bit of like a health thing, but it's also like a, a moral ethical thing, right? For me, I, honestly, so like, in, in, in thinking ahead of time about this episode, like I kind of like was trying to gather my thoughts and I don't think, I mean, ethics to me is like, it's important, but it's not, it's not even top four uh, for me, the reasons, the reasons you, for why. You, you numbered them? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <What a> dork. <laughs> so I was actually, I was going to ask that whenever we got into the episode, you know, what your, cause everyone has a different reason for getting into, you know, more vegetarian or, or vegan or just plant-based in general diets, you know, shifting shifting a diet in general usually has some kind of motivation behind it. And I had, you know, friends in high school that tried out vegan diets and some that stuck with it and some that didn't, and they all had different reasons for it. So I was curious as to your reason for, you know, not just switching over, but also maintaining that diet for eight years. Well, dude, I'm like, I'm a really cheap person <laughs> and uh, it is way cheaper to, to, at least in my experience, like everything I've ever done, it's just been so much cheaper because I, I cook a lot of my own food. I like, you know, I'm basically, um, just like roasting vegetables or making like soups and, uh, you know, random stuff that me and my girlfriend make up, you know, a lot of Italian food as well, or like, uh, you know, Mediterranean food kind of generally. Um, but it's, it's way cheaper. And so that was like one of the, the main reasons I just like eventually was just like, this is easy. So in terms of like just the maintenance, like how I was able to like keep it up or what, not even how, because it wasn't, it wasn't even that cog, uh, fuck, <laughs> I feel like Ian's going to pounce now. <laughs> Uh, I can step in here though uh, too. It's funny to hear him say that it's related to uh, to money because uh, uh, us having the, wow, wow okay now it's your turn to pounce but uh, not yet I'm, I'm still talking. Um, it, it's funny too because like Shay and I've had this conversation previously where uh, we'll be walking somewhere I'm like oh you want to eat here I'm like oh sorry I forgot you can't you have like dietary restrictions and people are like oh. um it's not a restriction it's a dietary choice. <laughs> like, oh you are so annoying you are the worst. <laughs> so this is you calling me out for you want me to defend yeah, that you're right like, oh now, it's just related saying. to money i'm like uh, not based on the conversations we've been having if you'd be like ah uh, this food's cheaper let's eat that you're like it's a it's a choice uh my friend yeah yeah well it is i think it is cheaper i think a lot of uh, restaurants and like other places 
they they realize you can probably charge the exact same for the, the dish with or without the meat. They're not charging. I mean, it's a dish that's priced for meat and they take out the meat and they don't adjust the price in most cases, which is fine. I mean, I don't really care that much. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it you doesn't know, look like it's bothering you at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess like to, to get back to like the like the main reasons for why I thought of it and what brought me to it, I guess I, I have to say it's the environment because like, mm. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, right? There's like the environment, there's your personal health, there's global health in the mm. terms of like the risk that you have for breeding new superbugs, um, uh, resistance to antibiotics, you know, obviously H1N1 came from pig farms and shit like that. You know, mm. obviously are living in the middle of a pandemic, which was caused from like a wet meat market, you know, or, or maybe whatever. I'm not going to get to the bottom of exactly what that was. But, you know, uh, there is obviously a risk that comes from, uh, you know, factory farming or this kind of stuff. And so under all of that is ethics, because above <laughs> all of that, there's actual existential threats from my perspective. Like, I'm not worried. Like, I mean, you, you go ahead and torture billions of animals every year. That's fine. If that's how you get off, that's your thing. But uh, by doing so, you're also ruining the environment. And I live in the environment, it turns out. So you're, you're like a doomsday vegetarian. This is a new <laughs> twist on yeah. an old class. <laughs> I'm the Alex Jones of vegetarianism. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your friends. Yeah, that's okay. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, Brennan, you probably have some, some say. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. So it's it's really interesting your reasoning behind you know your your dietary choice because I like I said I've heard quite a few reasons on on why people switch to this you know particular diet and typically the you know the reason they switch to and this kind of is is my point you know the, the difference between vegetarianism and veganism or or the difference between you know the different types of dietary styles you know like there's pescatarians and there's you know all all that type of stuff sure. the reason yeah. the reasoning typically shifts a little bit but it's usually somewhat similar. Um, like, like I've heard the environmental argument, I've heard like the, uh, the health argument, I've heard the, uh, the, hum the humane argument, usually the humane one is the vegan one, like usually you don't say vegetarian if you're if you're in it for the humane part of it. Um, like the ethics typically push people to the extreme of, of the, you know, the diet. Um, but the, the financial one is one I actually haven't heard a whole lot. I mean, I've heard it, but it's, it's kind of one of the less common arguments that I hear. Um, because people usually like to go up on their soapbox and say like, you know, well, by doing this, I'm, I'm saving the world and I'm saving all of the cows and I'm saving all the pigs, which, you know, more, more power to them if, if that's what they think. But um, it's, it's the financial part of it usually gets left out of the equation. So I'm really um, kind of, you know, thrown off guard that that's, that's the direction you went with it, but it makes a lot of sense. Like that, that, that's actually one of the few arguments I've heard that, that not only makes sense, but is actually like a, like a legitimately like good, not saying that they're not all good reasons, but that is like probably the best reason I've heard to, to convince someone to, switch to that diet it's not enough to convince me but it's, it's good <laughs> i mean i don't know yeah i'm i'm like i said i'm super cheap like anyone who knows me well will say that my roommates say it when i'm out of, when i'm out of the room you know like i'm a cheap <laughs> person so uh i uh i mean it works great for me i mean it's it's insane like how you know when i was in college like I, my whole lifestyle was just like scooting by with like the minimal amount of money just like i was like a i was like trying to prove something to someone and, uh, and, you know, like, it's, it's, it's remarkable how far you can get with rice and beans, but even like how you can eat healthy. I mean, like, obviously, you know, there's like the health benefit too. But like, it, if it's easy to be lazy, and when you're a vegetarian, and it's easy to like, go for like the Trader Joe's, like, uh, 
tofu I, i'm trying to make up some I, I don't shop at trader joe's i have no idea i know they have like the fancy like vegan shit and it's all like 10 bucks a plate you know it's like no cheaper than if you just went out to like a, a restaurant and got a vegetarian option so like at that point like there's no real reason but there are ways of doing it if you're either i think it's like a middle ground like you can be really lazy and then you're like the trader joe's ten dollar plate um you can be like a normal person who might get like tofu with their meal, or you might be like me, who is just like, I eat canned beans and rice, and then I'll chop up like whatever vegetables I have left, you know, and like sometimes I get like the boxes of vegetables and just like, you know, what do I have and like make it work. And it's like, you know, it's enough. And I, I'm like healthy enough. I'm in good shape. Like I know the, the listeners can't see me right now, but uh, I'm a, a very handsome 30 year old male. <laughs> I have great skin and I'm not overweight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually uncomfortable now that I went down this road. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking right now. Yeah. You want, uh, this is one of the few instances where I'm just going to let you kind of dig your own grave. Like, I don't need to uh, jump in here. Like you're doing a great job, Shay. Keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, like kind of, uh, something both of you said that made me think about this. It's like, it's, it's interesting too, that like you almost can't have a civil conversation about diet because for some reason it's been turned into like this culture war, right? Like, you mm. can't have a conversation about, um, you know, oh, well, like I eat it for these reasons. Like, like you had said, a lot of it feels very soapboxy. Like mm -hmm. Shay, I think for some weird reason, like we we run a, for a podcast, we have an Instagram account where we'll upload like, you know, clips and um, sneak peeks in our episodes and whatever. And I think Shay started following some like vegan accounts. So like every now and then I'll be scrolling and they'll be like, this little pig saw the movie Babe and wanted mm -hmm. to be a movie star. But now it's a bologna sandwich that some kid doesn't even appreciate. I bet you feel like crap. And I'm like, I do. Thanks a lot. Thanks for, it just makes me like stuff like that just makes me want to eat meat more. And it's, right. it's weird because like, I know that's um, such a, a horrible way to think about it, but um, it's, it's weird that uh, the extent to which I, I think diet has become politicized and, and, mm -hmm. You know, if you take into account that idea of like, well, you know, you are what you eat. I, I think it's important to kind of think about it and, and talk about diet. But for some reason, yeah, like I remember when I um, was uh, sampling vegetarianism in college, like I went home to visit my parents and I was like, yeah, like I'm not going to eat meat. I'm just going to I brought some stuff to, to cook and eat with. And uh, my dad was like, oh, you're a soy boy now. And I was just mm -hmm. like what like what is, like why are you taking offense to this like it was like his feelings were hurt for some reason right yeah i don't know what exactly has caused it but i've noticed uh, especially over the past few years that just not just i mean lifestyles in general like you can't have a unique lifestyle you can't have any kind of lifestyle just having a lifestyle is um a crime against nature apparently but um i've i've learned you know just by doing research and by talking to people and by engaging um, you know what, what was oh. i gonna say no, 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 you, you froze actually. I thought you were done. We lost you for a second. Yeah, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. I was actually, I looked down and then I heard you stop talking and I heard silence. I'm like, oh, okay. But no, go, go for it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I was just getting to, because I, like, I took a nutrition class when I was in um, my first year of college and they basically um, encouraged us to try like a week of a vegetarian diet just to see, you know, if we could handle it or if, you know, if we, if we liked it. And I did, you know, I, I went a whole week, um, you know, without eating meat. Um, the difficult part for me, um, and this is kind of, you know, like a lazy excuse to not, to not do the diet, but I just am really, really picky. So like, I, I don't like, I've been that way since I was a little kid, I'm getting better about it now. You know, now I'm kind of forcing myself to try new foods. Um, I'm getting better about it. But when I, you know, my entire life, I was very, very picky to the point like where I did not like anything that was not like my usual meal. So like, or, or the other thing, it was weird. Like 
I had certain foods that I, that I liked and I would never not like. And then I had other foods that I could only eat them for a little while and I get burnt out on them really easily. So like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I would like for like a week and I had to take a break from them and I had to eat them again, like after like a month of not having them just because it was just a weird thing. I just couldn't, you know, I don't know. I couldn't do it. So I had this like this weird conundrum where I couldn't eat my usual meals anymore because they all had meat in them, but I didn't like the things that I was trying to make. And so it was like, mm. that was what made the diet difficult for me was just my, I, I wasn't enjoying my food and I'm kind of, you know, on the, on the side of, you know, you should, you should enjoy your, your diet. You know, like if you, if you're not enjoying the thing that you're, that you're used, like if you're not enjoying your lifestyle, then you're probably living the wrong lifestyle. Like mm. the people who say like, you know, I'll, I'll eat 10 pounds of bacon and get a heart attack and die tomorrow and I'll die happy. I know I'm not necessarily on that train, but I, but I support the idea behind it. You know, you shouldn't, uh, you know, make yourself suffer to live a hundred years. If, you know, if, if you're going to just live a hundred years of, of, of pain, basically. Well, it's, it's fascinating too, to even think about, and I don't have an answer to this question. This isn't something I looked up, but I wish I would have now, like the evolution of food as something that you, you ate for sustenance as to like something that needed to be like labored over and slaved over and turned mm. into an experience. And it's funny because like, you know, when, when you travel abroad, like one of the things that people will ask you is like, how was the food? It's not like, what was the geography? How was the culture? What were the, what were the people like, or, you know, did you see any, um, uh, like, uh, uh, ancient sites or something like that that's like the first thing i'll ask was like well how was the food mm-hmm. um so again like it, it, it it's almost weird that we put this much emphasis on um the the, the entire amalgamation of like whatever it is that we're eating like and, and, and that in itself becomes an experience yeah um uh, which i'm sorry go ahead, go ahead. Oh, i was just gonna say that's actually something that i've been um talking about a lot like quite a bit recently on the podcast and I actually have an episode I'm working on just kind of you know as like a theory episode of just kind of culminating all my thoughts on the matter but um, basically the more I've researched the history of agriculture the more I've begun to realize that food has kind of become um, or not has become has always been kind of like our our staple of society like food basically our, our ability to to grow food establishes society and it doesn't matter like where you look you know anywhere in history even in like pretty much every religion and belief system out there every mythology food is like this this magical thing that can you know it's got transformative properties it's got all this you know it can it can change your experience of the world like there's actually like psychological connections to food like certain food causes certain psychological behaviors um you know like there's like connections to like when you uh, haven't eaten for a long time, your behavior and your psychology changes completely. That's what hangriness basically is. And that like, you know, if, if you're in like, there's actually psychologists who will recommend if you're in an argument with somebody, you don't want to be in argument. If, if you don't want to be in an argument with them, offer them food and it'll actually like make them feel better about you and they won't fight you as much. Like there's, there's this weird effect with food and our relationship with it. That's like, it's, it's almost un, like undescribable how, how closely we've, we've connected ourselves to not only the, uh, the food, but how we get it too. And that's something that we lost for a long time, but we're trying to get it back. And I'm actually, that's kind of the whole point of my podcast is to try to reconnect us with the source of our food too. Mm, that makes sense. I, I think, uh, I, so I read a, uh, a book or a couple of books recently that I really fucking loved. And it was like, t- it talks a lot about like our hunting and gathering ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, the books are really famous. Uh, Guns, Drums and Steel was one of them. And then another one was like a bestseller recently was um, Sapiens. And they both talk a lot about like, or, you know, especially Guns, Drums and Steel talks a lot about um, our early foraging ancestors. There's another book I'm thinking of too. I'm thinking of um, The Omnivore's Dilemma. It was by Michael Pollan. It was an, another uh, really well-selling book. 
And uh, it is interesting, like you, if you think about like how we based our early sense of community and um, our understanding of each other, it's almost always based around activities in, in food and survival and stuff like that. They also, what's, what's interesting to me, and what, what, as soon as you said that, when we think of it, it's like that you're totally right that the, the origins of a lot of like what we consider now to be like a society or like in any kind of organized state uh, is based around this idea of agriculture and just as soon and I don't know I don't know if you've heard this before but I, it was an idea that as soon as I heard it I thought it was so fascinating and it was that the idea of private property itself emerged with the advent of agriculture mm -hmm. because until then there was no oh those are my crops it was like no we found this food together mm -hmm. but now all of a sudden it's like no no that's mine you know, where it's like, are, I took are the like, time to grow it. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, I took the time to grow it or, you know, whatever you whatever you've done with it. Uh, and, you know, before that, it was more of a like, not, I want to say a herd mentality, but not in any kind of negative connotation, I guess more of like a tribe mentality, mm -hmm. you know, where you have um, where it was communal belonging. So I, I don't know, you saying that really uh, brought these other ideas to mind as well. We know well, that's why I too. like, oh, I'm sorry, no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Ian. You're good. Um, your point was probably going to be a lot better than mine. So hold on to it. Um, but it, like, it's funny that you both mentioned like food and community and, and things like that, because, um, and this is just like a really uh, brief anecdote. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I used to work at this place called the English Language Institute. And it was my job to teach. Um, we both did this, actually. We led classes with people from all over the world. And there were like some very conservative cultures in terms of some students from Kuwait, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE. Um, you know, uh, China, Japan, um, and South Korea. And then there were like very, very liberal cultures from, uh, I mean, still conservative in their own right, but um, in terms of like certain rights and ideas, uh, like the South American and European students. So in these classes, a lot of times they would clash. And I had uh, a superior, my boss basically was this Irish woman named Lynn. And uh, were, I had a class that was very diverse and there was always a lot of infighting. And um, I was like, I don't know what to do when this happens. And, she, and her response was, um, Next time they're having an argument, get everyone to talk about food. No one fights about food. And I was like, <laughs> hey, so I mean, I, I employed that and then it worked um, mostly until I remembered that some things are haram in certain cultures and like, you know, that, uh, that it, you can't include that. But um, that's mm. the anecdote. So uh, say your great point now that this uh, very <laughs> benign story is finished. No, that was a good anecdote. And that's that is, is absolutely true. I mean, we have this this innate connection to food and that we have such a positive feeling about food that it you know food can cure war basically is kind of the mentality that i've i've gathered um but something I've, i i wanted to bring up was uh, have either of you seen the martian yeah i saw it a little while ago yeah okay no, no, no. yeah I, I but i know i know what it's about mm -hmm. so in the martian there's a quote that he says uh, right towards the end and it's uh, they they say once you grow crops somewhere you have officially colonized it so technically i colonized mars and that quote was actually something that he quoted and i don't remember who exactly he was he was citing but he mentioned it in the movie he was quoting some some you know ancient philosopher and it kind of um brought back that idea that you know food is what what establishes society and that's something that i've been kind of exploring for a while now and and you know the the way that we handle our civilizations is usually based around our ability to grow food and that's kind of the ironic the ironic part about today's society is we're getting so disconnected from our source of food from agriculture from you know nature that we're almost getting to a point where if we don't if we don't pay more attention to it we ha we run the risk of destroying it and the destruction of our source of food leads to the destruction of society. I mean, we all saw Wally. We know what happened there. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. And you know, that actually reminds me of this quote. And I'm I'm gonna paraphrase it because I'm not entirely sure how it was, but it, it's I guess more of an idea. So it's mm -hmm. just that the idea that um, all famine is man-made. 
that until until agriculture, there really was no famine because we, you know, we relied on um, we relied on a very diverse set of plants and animals to feed ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it was only until we got into modern agriculture and a lot of monocrop agriculture that we find ourselves all of a sudden destroying huge of land and or at least making them uh, unusable for anything else other than corn, let's mm -hmm. say, or soy, uh, let's say. Your, your quote reminds me of, um, and I, this is also like a, a pair of something I'm going to paraphrase badly, but it was something along the lines of like the unique way that like the Native Americans uh, cultivated um, food as well. And in terms of like they didn't necessarily uh, plant crops or anything like that, but they would literally like uh, cultivate wild areas so that you could essentially like walk through them and like, you know, pick berries and, and find the food that you want almost as if like you were walking on a, a trail. It was like the original all you could eat buffet, mm -hmm. the way that they kind of like cultivated the land to work for them that way. And when the settlers arrived, they literally because of the way that everything grew, it was just the, the method of like the non-invasive method that the uh, um, Native Americans had developed, they were like, oh my God, this place is paradise. And then of course they like, you know, ruined that. And it's, it's even funnier too, because when we talk about like the Dust Bowl in the United States, um, uh, a little known fact, I'm sure you know this, but most Americans are like, oh, it was such a catastrophe. Part of the reason the Dust Bowl even happened is because they basically wiped out the buffalo whose hooves mm -hmm. literally packed dirt into the ground a certain way, slaughtered them so the Native Americans wouldn't have food, brought in cows who like leveled the ground in a different way. And then mm -hmm. that left the topsoil so unsettled when a big storm, you know, did, when uh, conditions were right, it just completely uh like snowballed and, and created astronomically uh like apocalyptic condition apocalyptic conditions that just mm -hmm. exacerbated what was already going on during the great depression so yeah um, there was two there was were two fun facts but yeah you get it yeah no absolutely and i mean the the dust bowl is a good example of of kind of the point that you know is uh i mean again kind of goes back to the whole purpose of, of why we're having this conversation in the first place is that you know people don't um, fully understand the ramifications of, you know, civilization. And I'm not saying that civilization is a bad thing. By, by all means, I think that we've all benefited from, you know, from civilization. But I think that, like, I, most people don't know. So, like, you mentioned that the topsoil uh, was, you know, was left unsettled, unsettled after they got rid of the whole uh, buffalo uh, population and they replaced it with cattle that didn't didn't occupy the space that the buffalo had had previously occupied um that's something that's actually being researched right now by graze uh by uh rangeland like graze managers um they'll like they've been they've been monitoring ways to basically reverse desertification using uh like pack animals and so that's something that's really interesting but i'll get into that in a second but the thing i was going to mention about the topsoil is that whenever you upset topsoil it doesn't just grow back um, like we're, we're learning, you know, right now that the topsoil or soil in general is actually kind of like a living organism in and of itself. And that it's, it's basically a network of micro, uh, like microorganisms that are all working together to maintain life for anything that lives there. So our crops, our, our natural environment, all of that stuff depends on the soil to survive. And when you disturb the soil, it doesn't look too good for the things that are that are depending on it for survival. So whenever we build societies, you know, whenever we build buildings, whenever we lay foundation, whenever we, you know, drive out, um, you know, indigenous species that are maintaining that soil health, we're causing a a you know a disturbance that that could potentially kill that topsoil. And topsoil takes about five hundred years to rebuild. That's yeah. Crazy. So if own, we yeah. You know, if we build a city and we decide we don't want to use it anymore and we need food, we can't knock down Walmart and grow some food again. It's going to take us about 500 years to be able to do that. 
That's crazy. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. So I've I've got kind of a non sequitur. Shay, if you've got something that like logically falls that point, go for it. I've, <laughs> I've got something, and it's just like I just remembered I wanted to talk about this, but I completely forgot. So yeah, go for it, man. It was basically like okay, it's kind of this idea that's like I've heard it used before or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I don't think it's a sincere argument, but it does lead to some funny, interesting answers. If you're going to eat animals, like you should, it's either all or nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like you should just, if you're going to eat pigs and cows and the argument is going to be like, oh, well, they're dumber. And like, well, pigs are actually smarter than dogs. Then you Mm -hmm. should eat all animals. Um, What are you guys's, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I'll give it to you first, Brennan. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, thanks. Um... (laughs) So I, this is actually, uh, it, it's a really, really good question. Um, so I have studied uh, the animal rights versus animal welfare argument for the past five years. Um, I, and I used to do quite a bit of public speaking on the matter and just on agricultural issues in general. That's actually the origin of the, po- of the podcast. You know, I was doing speeches on ag issues and I needed somewhere to vent about them. So I have spoken on this, on this particular issue quite a few times and I've, I've done my research and I've done, you know, quite a bit of homework and kind of, you know, a lot of soul searching and kind of figuring out where I fall on this line. I think that it depends culturally. Um, there's, there's some lines to be drawn culturally, but I've been working on this, you know, kind of progressive theory on how we assign moral value to animals. And I mean, you know, humans have to assign moral value to animals. Animals don't have any level of, 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 of ethics involved in their in their psychology. It's just not part of something that they can, like they have, not, I'm not going to say they rely entirely on instinct. I've heard that argument before. It's not entirely true. There are animals that can function off of more than just instinct. We've seen dogs function on more than just instinct. They have, you know, emotional connections to their owners. That's something that has been proven before. That's not the same thing as the type of emotional connections that humans can relay onto things. And humans are the only animals that have developed any so any form of ethical, um, what do you call it, like, like ethical systems. You know, animals don't have belief systems. They don't have religions. They don't have you know mythology. They Philosophy. they have survival and they have pack. You know, they they protect their own. You know, they have they have families, but um, not the same kind of families that we do. And you know, like you'll hear like you'll hear the argument that you know if two dogs are in a fight and a dog exposes his neck to the other dog, that's him surrendering. And the other dog not killing that dog is a sign of ethics. That's not a sign of ethics. That's a dog. Of, that's a sign of that dog showing his dominance. Because if that dog doesn't kill that dog, that, that means that he's dangerous, but he wants them to know that he's able to hold himself back until he doesn't need to anymore. So it, that's, all, that's all related to the hierarchy of their um, social structure that has nothing to do with their level of, of interpretation of ethics. So, you know, long-winded way of getting back to my answer to the question, uh-huh. I believe that humans assign moral value to animals and where we assign moral value is where you draw the line on what you can eat and what you can't. It has nothing to do with intelligence. You know, most animals are actually incredibly intelligent. Cattle are incredibly intelligent. Horses are incredibly intelligent. Obviously we have like dogs and pigs and, and you know, horses or um, dolphins are, are said to be incredibly intelligent. Um, but we assign moral value depending on how those animals um, correspond with us, you know? So like we, we consider livestock a different category than pets and we consider pets a different category than animals you would see in a zoo. And you, and you consider those animals different than animals you would see, you know, out in nature. And you consider those different than microorganisms that are still considered animals, but they're not something we think about on a daily basis. So like where we draw the line kind of depends again, there's, there's a, there's a certain cultural, a distinction there but i think generally across most most cultures where we draw the line is dependent on 
uh, where we assign our moral value to those animals. And I think it's somewhere between what I consider the observables and the livestock. So livestock are obviously, you know, cows, pigs, chickens, horses, all that kind of stuff. Horses are kind of in their own category because they're considered livestock legally, but they're not considered livestock by most people because they're like companion animals kind of. But observables are, you know, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, you know, the stuff out in the wild that you typically wouldn't eat, but you'd interact with typically. And, you know, like, I, I consider like like game animals like you know deer and rabbits and that kind of stuff somewhat part of livestock they're kind of like in like a weird midsection um because some people assign moral value to them so they won't eat them and some people will eat them because their game is kind of that one's kind of morally ambiguous uh, amb- ambiguous but i personally put the put the line you know past livestock past game animals but not so far as like the observables the zoo animals the wildlife that kind of stuff if that makes sense so you won't eat dogs I won't eat dogs, no. <laughs> what about if you go to Korea? Will you eat a dog in Korea? So I've considered it before. Like I, I always say if I moved to Italy, I would, I would try a horse. I'm not sure I would. I, I would. And it's not necessarily, you know, I, I think that it's not to be disrespectful to their culture, but it's something that, you know, growing up around horses my whole life, it's not like it would make me sad to eat a horse, but I just think that to be consistent with, you know, with, with where I place my morals, I just wouldn't eat a horse because I, I think that it'd be equivalent to eating a dog. Well, it's, it's funny because like I, I traveling all over the world, I've eat, I've eaten some some stuff, mm-hmm. some weird stuff. I, I have I have eaten dog. Uh, I've eaten whale. That was the one I felt weirdest about. I was like, oh, I'm a bad person. But I was curious. <laughs> I was like, it's here. It's mm-hmm. here. I'm going to eat it. It doesn't taste good. We should stop eating whales. <laughs> go take a chunk out of a candle. That's what whale tastes like more mm-hmm. or less. Um, you know, I've eaten a horse. I had kangaroo in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um so it's like, you know, uh, I think I think the thing for me isn't necessarily that like, oh, we shouldn't be eating certain animals. Maybe we shouldn't be like raising certain animals for like mass consumption because mm-hmm. it's just not uh, it doesn't make sense. It's it's not logical. But um, for some uh, for me, I think the question is like a, it's, it's a matter of like cruelty. It, it, that's the thing is like. You know, I eat meat, but I, I don't like the conditions that like yeah, cows and pigs and a lot of industrial animals like have to bear before they're slaughtered. Like mm-hmm. I would probably be more comfortable eating meat if like, you know, I knew the cow had like a happy life because what like the alternative is like we release all the cows and then like a, a mountain lion eats them. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually having a conversation with my wife about this. And um, she was like, um, it's probably preferable for them to be killed by a, a mountain lion than a human. It's like a matter of dignity. Like they go to pig heaven and they're like, mm-hmm. what killed you? They're like a cougar. They're like, oh, it's so cool. And then like, how about you? <laughs> so I got shot in the head with a with a you know a metal rod. Um, so it's like, if, so it's like, yeah, like I I don't know. I feel like if if uh, meat were maybe uh, if we were producing meat in conditions that weren't so inhumane, I think it would make me feel better about eating meat. And that would probably change the price. Like I'm sure mm-hmm. if uh, we cleared lands and let cows roam free, like meat would be more expensive, but maybe it should be. Like maybe mm-hmm. that's the price you pay for better ethical conditions, but then better yeah. ecological, like environmental conditions as well. Okay. So before I address that point, Shay, you want to give your take on this? Well, you know, it's interesting because honestly, I'm with I'm with Ian uh, in the sense that if you're going to eat animals, I think you should eat all animals. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't I don't think that, you should... that wasn't what I said. That's just a point I heard. I'm like, yeah. Eat them so, all. Uh, yeah. So if you check out Ian's website, he goes into depth <laughs> about this idea. Um, I'm not pro eating all animals. <laughs> but but I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't, honestly. Like, I guess mm-hmm. like because the, mo- the moral or ethical like issue to me, like 
and if we're and if we're talking and obviously it seems like we're talking specifically ethics and morals and philosophy and all that stuff now like i don't really quite see the difference between an animal that has like come to trust us and that we've domesticated over the last couple hundred or you know ten thousand years or whatever that like we're like okay well you're domesticated thank you so much for letting us kill you by the billions now that was really sweet of you thank you You know like in terms of like (laughs) this husbandry like um this connection you have um like I don't know. I feel like it would be more ethical or moral to kill game or wildlife. Mm. Um, and, you know, in terms of pets, like, I don't really actually, I don't, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I don't, I don't want to eat pets, <laughs> but like, if I, if it's but someone's pet, don't push if me. It's, yeah. If it's someone's <laughs> dog I've never met and I don't have an emotional <laughs> connection to, like, I, I don't think I'd care. Like, you know, talking about like, cause I, you know, I went to, I went to Korea just slightly after Ian, uh, Ian left and I met his wife there and like, she was like, Oh, they, there's dog restaurants around here. And I th- and I'm pretty sure she suggested, Oh, do you want to try it? And I was like, you know, I don't think so, <laughs> but like, not, not because I was, I don't know. I mean, if I were eating meat, I probably would have, you know, I don't know. It doesn't, that doesn't seem to bother me. Brent, but... I just want to, I'm sorry, go ahead, Shay. No, 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 no. What were you going to say? I, I just really quick here. What you said reminds me of um, apparently like in Japan, my wife was telling me this too, like in, in Japan to teach kids like uh, about, you know, respect or appreciating like all the work that goes into raising a pet. They, they get these kids to like raise a pig through mm-hmm. the semester and it's like yeah it's your class pet you gotta feed it you gotta love it you gotta take care of it and then they have a barbecue and uh they're like why did everybody enjoy their meat that was your pet pig and the kids are all like there's like pictures of them crying as they finish their meals <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah there's one they had a pet like i think this year i guess maybe that was too inhumane or something but this year there was one with like a, a pet fish and then they they cut it up in front of the kids they're like literally some uh, sushi chef came in and was like Hey, cool, cool fish. Who's hungry? <laughs> There's just pictures of them in tears. I'll send it to you when we're done here, but that's, that's all. Yeah, I no, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing that. So, okay. So now I want to address both of your points, but, but separately. So um, I'm going to address the whole factory farming, you know, humanity of agriculture thing second, because there is a part of my original statement that I want to bring up, but stepping back from the ethical side of things. Now talking scientifically, you know, going uh, biologically speaking, I think it makes the most sense to eat animals that we can easily uh, digest. So uh, we have a very, like our, our bodies have a very, very hard time digesting carnivores. That's why we typically eat uh, more ruminant animals like, you know, cattle, sheep, goats, uh, you know, deer, you know, that kind of stuff. So horses aren't necessarily, you know, they're not carnivores, but their bodies behave like a carnivore. They're very muscular. They have, you know, very lean meat. That's why typically we won't eat it here in the United States besides it being illegal. Um, but it just doesn't taste good, you know, for, for the way we raise them here in the United States. Um, dogs are the same way, cats are the same way. That's why you wouldn't eat a lion before eating, you know, like a gazelle because um, their bodies are like the chemistry of their meats is much more difficult for our bodies to break down than ironically enough i learned this from my nutrition class if you eat a human not saying you should but if you do your body will actually break it down easier than any other form of meat because your body recognizes that meat and says hey you you're made of this i can break this down i know how it works and it breaks it down a lot faster so you'll digest human faster than any other meat again don't eat humans but i'm just saying if you do wait a minute Brendan, how do you know this (laughs) again my nutrition class was an interesting i also learned you're never supposed to eat a polar bear's liver everyone knows that Come i on. didn't know that until <laughs> i was I'm gonna joking. say I, i'm imagining your your uh your nutrition class like i hey, everybody you know that uh, pet human we've been raising <laughs> <laughs> i think a pet human is a slave ian um, oh my that's God. i'm a little i'm a little concerned for your uh for your pets at home now <laughs> ian always goes there 
<laughs> I'm just I'm always looking for the boundary. I'm trying to I'm trying to push it. Right? You want to break but through it, the noise, be loud, people. That's my <laughs> philosophy. But so going back to you know the bio, biological argument, one of the arguments that is made by a lot of especially animal rights activists, but just vegans in general, is that um you know eating a, a meat-based diet is unnatural for humans because we we weren't meant to be meat eaters. That's not really the case i mean there's there's arguments to be made that we were originally more fruit based in our diet which that's you know that's fair but our, our stomachs are specifically designed to be omnivorous i mean like we're monogastric so we we have one we have one chambered stomach we have you know it goes in one way comes out the other and we have a very uh, simplified system that's not able to break down forages so if we have a lot of cellulose which is present in you know grasses and hays and um like a lot of like like lettuce and other leafy greens we have a really hard time breaking it down that's why a lot of you know uh, stuff like lettuce is mostly a filler in, in you know more plant-based diets instead of an actual nutrition base um in livestock they don't have that problem you know they can digest uh, leafy greens all day and therefore you know their four uh four chamber compartment stomach that it's called you know the the ruminant digestive system um can actually break down those um you know those leafy greens those forages that we can't and actually absorb nutrients out of it it's not that they don't have any nutrients that we can get out of them it's just that our bodies can't handle it our bodies are more attuned for more simplified forms of food like meat or like fruit or you know that kind of thing but even then you know our bodies break down meat much easier than it breaks down fruit and you know their argument is is usually that well all bodies are like that that's not true. Monogastric bodies tend to be more like that, but herbivore monogastrics, which are very rare, usually they're ruminant or some kind of modified monogastrics, um, typically don't digest that way. Like horses are herbivores, but they're modified monogastrics. They digest things in a very different way than we do. Whereas like a bear or a pig or, you know, other animals that are om omnivorous, they digest meat very similarly to how do we do. And so if, if our digestive systems are similar to those things that are supposed to eat meat, then to me, it seems more natural that our bodies are supposed to be able to digest meat. So that would be my argument for where to draw the line in terms of animals that we're supposed to eat from the scientific perspective. You know, we should eat the things that our bodies knows how that our body knows how to digest from, you know, from, from just our, our evolutionary biology. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that was the point I wanted to add on from, you know, not taking the ethical point of view, but more of the scientific point of view on why I eat what I eat. That's kind of my view on that. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that before I move on. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense. You should eat stuff that is easier on your body. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the same reason I don't eat a lot of tree bark. Uh, right. You know? <laughs> well, I, I, I've also heard like a new theory proposed too, is like one of the things that allowed us to, our, our, our brains to evolve to be larger is that we started eating meat. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the things that's uh, so interesting evolutionary biologists is like, chimps have started hunting uh, other monkeys so oh. they're getting more like protein based which is terrifying to watch like never watch these videos like they're just like ripping gibbons from the trees and like eating them alive from the bottom up and you're just like yeah, this no. is horrible i'm good and the chimps are like yummy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah so it's it, i mean it, i guess i guess that makes sense but what about what about like the ecological stuff in terms of like the the impacts on the environment and like the the cruelty of the conditions because that, that's mm -hmm. one of the things that i think is like most uh i i guess like that's the thing where people start to feel bad and maybe even you know consider mm. making the switch right and that's kind of the that's the point of the argument that's the most difficult to make because the 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 point that you guys were making about you know not only the environmental factors but also the ethical factors on the animals are really good points you know at the end of the day the the number one goal should be to keep the animals as as low stress and as happy as possible um 
typically what what causes a lot of the issue in that debate is that you know one side or the other gets gets heated and doesn't hear the actual facts of the matter um so in terms of how animals are raised in, in agriculture today so there's that term factory farming gets thrown around thrown around a lot uh, before I move on, you know, through that, I'm, I'm kind of curious, what, uh, what, what, how would you guys define factory farming? Like if you had to illustrate it, what would it look like to you? I guess I'm imagining uh, in terms of like, let's say, for instance, dairy production, mm -hmm. I'm imagining um, cows like constantly being artificially inseminated, standing on concrete floors for months uh, at a time um, in like a, in like a basically like a bathroom stall that like they can't turn around in mm -hmm. like hundreds of animals like in a row like in this way um i guess for like chickens i'm just imagining like cages like filled with multiple chickens stacked on top of each other so they all like shit and drip on <laughs> like their shits the, like the videos i've dripping. seen too of like people yeah. like you know like the, they would get jobs uh as like workers and then take uh undercover videos and i think it, like laws were actually passed to stop people from doing that like it's now like illegal to film the conditions that some of these animals are in uh, i don't know all over the u.s i don't know if it's become a federal law but i know at certain states it's it's become like a mm -hmm. a, a felony right um now. yeah like i think more or less like what, what shay has said too just like it, it seems just environments that seem like in inhumane like specifically like animals kind of stacked on top of one another like um and then you you know you're you're kind of led to slaughter so i guess that's mm -hmm. that's what i think of too and then i know there's like a lot of waste uh something about um doesn't uh, factory farming isn't like one of the largest producers of like greenhouse gases as well? Methane. Like yeah, yeah, methane. There we go. So okay, so so what I will say to that is that a lot of that imagery is is fueled by social media. Um, that you know, there's there's this image pushed for, especially by like documentaries and that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of animal rights videos that post a lot of videos of that kind of stuff. I'm not gonna say it doesn't exist. You know, there's definitely operations out there that um you know mistreat their animals they don't put them in in you know sanitary conditions and there are laws on the books that are supposed to shut those kinds of operations down and i'm all for that i think that anywhere that um mistreats their animals deserves to get shut down and have you know every right stripped away from them as, a, as an agriculturalist i think that's completely unacceptable that being said though for the massive majority if i can't give you a number but if i had to guess i'd say 98 to 99 percent of, of operations across the u.s most of them, and that's the other thing too, that, you know, this is speaking in the US, some of those videos are actually from foreign countries where they don't have legislation in place to protect those animals. Um, from the US perspective, though, most operations function off of having those animals as low stress as possible. So, um, you know, like you mentioned, having cows in like, uh, like, like bathroom stalls where they can't turn around and they're stuck on concrete 24 hours a day being AI'd. Um, they do enter stanchions which you know lock their heads into place and they're standing on concrete and that's usually how they eat and how they're artificially inseminated um at that point the reason for that though and it's not for 24 hours a day you know they, they go in there for maybe an hour they eat their breakfast and then they, get, they can get out whenever they need to and they walk away and they go and lay on their bed and their bed is made up of almond holes that are the softest material that you can get a cow to lay on and that's supposed to lower their stress levels whenever they're sleeping or resting. You know, the, the only reason they have the concrete there is so that way it's easier to wash all the manure and stuff out of their pens. Um, so that's that's kind of their feeding operation. The AI is so that way they don't get hurt by the bulls because bulls are extremely dangerous. And if you 
uh, allow bulls to naturally breed. You know, you run the risk of getting the cow hurt, getting the bull hurt, getting both hurt. Um, there's a lot lower rates of conception at that point, because especially if it's during the summer, um, they either don't want to do it, or if they do, they just don't really take. Um, so it's, it's much safer and easier on the cow. And it's a lot less stressful on the cow, uh, just to artificially inseminate, which I understand looks bad, but you know, I've, I've personally been trained in artificial insemination. It's a very sanitary and clean process. That's, um, mostly beneficial to the cow and, and less to, to anyone else. Um, it is more expensive than, than using a bull more often than not, but it can overall, uh, save you money. Cause if you lose a cow in the process of breeding, that's going to lose you a lot more money than it is just to breed her and, you know, and, and, you know, pay for the, the stick. Um, but so that's, that's the artificial insemination part, but when it comes to the actual care of the animal and I'll get to the chickens in a second, but when it comes to the actual care of like, you know, let's just say dairy cattle, for example, um, they are at least, you know, the ones here in California that I've seen, but mostly across the country too, they're kept in conditions where they're constantly under shade, where they constantly have fans blowing on them. They have misters on them, um, as often as possible whenever it's hot out. Um, and they have heaters whenever it's cold out. Um, they have, like I said, almond hole beds that allow them to, to rest peacefully, some facilities don't clean out their pens as often as they should. And I agree that that needs to be fixed. Um, you know, there needs to be better sanitation processes and there are actually um, safety and health inspectors that come out and will shut down operations if that's not the case. Um, so they, they're kept in mostly sanitary conditions. Whenever they go in for milking, they do get a bath. That way they're not covered in manure. So that way they don't run any risk of infection, especially if they just had a baby. Um, and not only that, you know, if, if you go up to a dairyman more often than not, if you ask them, Hey, you know, do you mind if you give me a tour of your cows, I won't videotape anything. I just want to see him. He'll be more than happy to walk you around, have you look at him. If you notice if a cow is laying down, or even if it's standing up and it's breathing is slowed down and it's chewing its cud that is the happiest cow you ever see in your entire life. That's, that's kind of their indication of I'm calm. I'm at peace. I'm chewing my cud. Cause we've noticed over time that as cattle get stressed out, obviously their, their breathing accelerates, they uh, get more, you know, uh, like they're, they're on high alert. Their eyes are darting all over the place. They don't chew their cud. They don't eat anything. They'll just kind of stress out. So if we aren't seeing that, then there's something wrong. Either that cow is in heat, they're sick, something is wrong, you know, in terms of like they're, they're scared of something. And that, that farmer automatically goes into hyperdrive to try to make sure that cow gets back to that, that level of, of, you know, stress freeness. So if that cow is not breathing at the rate it's supposed to, and if it's not chewing its cud, then the farmer's more stressed out than the cow is trying to figure out what's going on. So the reason for all that, and there's actually, uh, there's a company that is entirely like their slogan is we make happy cows. And that's actually kind of the, the new slogan of the dairy industry as a whole is to try to benefit, um, the, the, you know, the general, uh, mental health of the cattle, um, is, you know, they're, they're basically their entire focus is by the time that animal is going to produce milk, by the time it's going to slaughter, by the time it's going to produce whatever product it needs to produce, the stress levels on that animal are as low as physically possible because the higher the stress level, the lower the product and the lower the amount of money you get for it. So it doesn't make any sense to stress out your cows more than you have to. And, and that goes for all animals. You know, if you have a pig, if you have uh, you know, a steer, if you have um, any kind of animal that's going to produce a product of some kind, if you stress it out too much, it's not going to make you any money. So it doesn't, it doesn't benefit you to not keep them happy. And so most farmers are going to try to prioritize lowering the stress of their animal before anything else on their operation. And for those that don't prioritize that, they're not only fools, but they're going to lose a lot of money and possibly get shut down by the government for not following regulations. So any of that make, you know, any of that makes sense or any of that need, you know, need further elaboration on, you know, maybe this is just cause I'm a skeptic, but when I hear this, I hear this as like, this is how farms should be. Mm -hmm. um, and if they run effectively and honestly, like what I, what I hear and like, I, again, like this is coming from a, a skeptical perspective, like 
uh, I have a tough time believing that this is actually how it's done most of the time, if I'm mm. being totally honest. Okay. Um, uh, and, but I do believe like, you know, I've, you know, I, I also grew up in like rural Florida and I, you know, I do see a lot of like happy cows and stuff like that, but I know that in all likelihood, those are probably not the cows that I'm meeting. Cause I know that like, I, I found some statistic recently that, um, or, or, you know, in preparation for this, it's just like the, uh, like an average, and you know, I'm talking, this is from, from England, the statistics of the average British carnivore, which I think that their meat consumption actually lower than ours, but I, mm-hmm. I, that's speculative, but, um, the average British carnivore eats more than 11,000 animals in their lifetime. And I'm just thinking, you know, if we're like 350 billion, or I'm sorry, 350 million Americans, it's like, there are so many, um, there's so many animals that need to be created mm-hmm. uh, in order for us to, to, to sustain that, that amount of consumption. I guess something that I'm actually curious to, to hear what you think about is what about like the, what about the environmental aspect in terms of just land use mm-hmm. for, for animals and just like, because obviously, you know, we, especially for like, um, for uh, animals that can't eat, that can't graze, then they're competing for the same, for in some instances, competing for the same food sources that we could eat. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're, I don't know, feeding corn to, uh, to some of these animals, I mean, we could also just be eating the corn. And I know, obviously, corn is not a steak, but it is life sustaining. Mm-hmm. So my, my response to that, so, so, so the first part of it, your skepticism is completely understandable. You know, it's not something that is easy to just believe, especially, you know, if, if you've been, um, you know, keeping up with what's going on in social media, it's, it's very easy to, to believe, you know, the videos that you see, my recommendation would be go to your local, your local dairies and don't just go to one, go to a few of them and, you know, tell them, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in just genuinely learning about what your operation is doing, you know, show me in what ways you're keeping your cows safe and happy and healthy. And if they don't show you, then I'll fly you out to California and show you our dairies. Cause <laughs> I can tell you right now that we're doing it right. Um, but no, I definitely understand the skepticism. It's something that, you know, it, it sounds like it's, you know, it's not something that would be possible on, on the scale as large as it, as it needs to be to produce as much food as we need, but it definitely is, you know, it's something that farmers take a lot of pride in and there's an insane amount of technology dedicated to that they have cow Fitbits now. Um, and they'll actually like track, you know, the health of that cow, what, what its heat cycle is looking like, how many steps a day it walks, that way they can tell if it's, if it's getting enough exercise, um, it tracks their heart rate to make sure they're not getting stressed out when they're not needing to be, um, it tracks, it tracks like the temperature of the cow, that way they know they're not overheating or underheating. Um, so there's a lot of technology in place right now that's dedicated entirely to keeping those cows in the perfect living conditions to keep them as stress-free as possible. And even in the slaughter, you know, in the slaughterhouse, there's, there's, um, so there's a, there's a gal by the name of Temple Grandin. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of her. Um, she's unbelievably, you know, unbelievably, uh, you know, incredible lady. I've studied her work for, for years now. I've, I've read a bunch of her books. I've actually had her on the podcast. She's kind of an idol of mine. Um, that was kind of a big deal for me. She, uh, so she's an autistic lady. And so her, um, condition has actually given her the ability to understand how animals think, you know, her brain functions very similarly to how, uh, most livestock brains work. Um, except obviously she's, she's more functioning than that. And she can actually, you know, speak and, and do things coherently. Um, she designed the modern, uh, structure in, in which we, we design our slaughterhouses and she designed them with a curved path that the cows walk down from their pen. And the reason for that curved path being there is that if they can see the cow in front of them, um, you know, get a bolt to you know, get a bolt between the eyes, it's obviously going to stress the cow out that's before them. Cause they're like, Hey, my friend said, I don't want to go in there. And so they build this, which to be fair, sounds kind of messed up that they build the structure so that way the cows don't see what's happening until they get in there. And then it's just instantaneous. They don't feel a thing. It's, you know, 
lights out gone and then they're they're a hamburger they don't feel anything they don't go in under any stress <laughs> and the reason for that is because like i said if they get stressed out even if it's a second before the bolt goes through their head they're going to taste terrible and there's actually there's a condition in, in meat called uh, red cutters or uh, not sorry uh, they're called dark cutters and dark cutters are meat that are that are produced by animals that are so heavily stressed that the meat is almost uh, dangerous to eat by humans because if it's if it's dark enough it will actually make you sick no matter how you know no matter, no matter how much you you cook it and so no, I'm actually one of my old college professors did tons of research on like what causes dark cutters and like, you know, how to prevent that kind of stuff from happening. And basically what came down to is just don't stress your animals out, you know, especially right before slaughter, do as much as you can to keep them not stressed. They actually, so here's something funny before slaughter, they'll actually feed them like chocolate. They'll feed them, you know, sweets and, and, you know, like stuff that's, that's supposed to lower their stress levels before they go into slaughter. That way they're, you know, they're not as, as low quality meat whenever they actually get, you know, I think we do that to people too. That's like their last meal, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, yeah, eat them. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But like, right. honestly, like just to comment on that for a second, it, mm-hmm. it is funny. I and mean, you seem to understand like the kind of like the, the weird like balance mm-hmm. there is there. Cause it's like, it's like, yeah, we have to really trick these cows <laughs> that they don't confront their own mortality before we kill them. Right. Like I mean, and that's so they taste good to us. Like it does right. feel like there's something weird there. It's like we don't even want them to know what's going to happen so that they don't ruin our meal. No, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I definitely think that that's there's some moral ambiguity there, but kind of so I raised cattle when I was in high school. I raised them through FFA. I written, you know, I had them at my uh-huh. county fair, kind of similar to how you were talking about with, you know, the um, the kids in that video, except we didn't actually eat ours. I mean, you had the option to you know, if you could buy yours back, but we always sold ours to another <laughs> farmer. Um, but I always made a rule about, you know, I, whenever I raised my steer to, to the fair, I would walk him on the tray by myself because I wanted to say my last goodbye. You get emotionally attached to these animals. It's definitely not an easy thing to, you know, to say goodbye to them, but I've always had this agreement with myself, you know, cause the average, so if you have a 1400 pound steer and it goes in the slaughter and you use every bit of it to feed a family, it, that one steer will feed a family of five for an entire year. That's how much meat is on one animal. Let me ask you a question. So I, I, I mean, I want to talk about the land thing as well. I've got questions too. I just yeah, want to say, we'll, I'm still we'll, here. I don't we'll interrupt. Where did that Ian guy go? That Ian guy was pretty great. <laughs> I interrupted Ian, so I get to. I get to <laughs> but okay, so. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, but I've I'm, got something too. Yeah, I know you do, Ian. Um, so I, there was, you know, there was an article that came out a couple uh, years ago mm-hmm. uh, in Science, and then like a bunch of um, other people picked it up, and it was just like talking about how. Um, if you wanted to avoid your environmental in- impact, the single most effective thing you could do w- would be to uh, cut animal products out of your diet. Right. Um, and I, you know, I know that there were some studies that uh, claimed to contradict that, but I, I mean, the, the initial response that was super well received by a lot of scientists all over the world. Um, and like, you know, even just talking about like, if you, if you were able to take away meat and dairy consumption, you would uh, reduce global farmland by like 75% and um, still be able to fill the world, feed everyone in the world if, if we weren't working with meat and dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're obviously very close to this. Like it's clear to me, like, you know, that you've spent an entire life like in this, in this cycle, um, which like I understand both makes you simultaneously very knowledgeable about this but i also know that it, it like in our whole podcast like we talk about like preconceptions and biases and like we're mm-hmm. so close to so many of our beliefs that it's hard to shake them and in fact oftentimes it's impossible mm-hmm. um and so i wonder if like basically i'm wondering do you feel that as like a as like a deep-seated core identity 
kind of thing as well. And I know I'm asking now like four questions in one, but you know, you pick one and answer it, I guess. <laughs> no, you're good. And I, I will get to the environmental stuff. I have, you know, I have my, my, my homework done on that as well, and I will get to it. But in terms of answering the bias question, I think that it's, it's possible. I mean, obviously there's going to be bias in anything you say. I mean, even the research you do can be biased. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, I'm, I say all research is me search. Is right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I will say that I've done my best to try to eliminate as much bias as possible. That's why I say that I'll admit that there are farmers out there who don't do the right thing and who don't, you know, take care of their animals properly. But I've also, and you know, this is entirely anecdotal. So you also have to trust what I say, but you know, I've done research and I've met with a, a large amount of farmers who have been doing the right thing and who have been following the processes. So as long as you trust me, then you can trust what I say. But if you don't trust me, then I'll just tell you to go do it yourself, you know? So go out there and go, you know, check out the farms and, and, you know, go off of your own, um, you know, go off of your own observations. So I will say that while it's possible that I have biases, I do whatever I can to try to mitigate that. And I, I level the playing field by saying, don't just trust me, go do it yourself. You know, go, go out into the field, go talk to the farmer, go ask questions, go do your own research, ask 20 farmers, you know, and if all of them tell you the same thing, then you can decide if you want to believe it or not. And I will say, you know, that the, the reverse is also true. You know, you could, you could be skeptical because of your own biases. So it's, it's, it's always a two-way street with this kind of stuff. So you have to trust that I'm, I'm definitely not an expert by any means. I never claim to be, you know, I, I, I do my research, but there's always something I could miss. I could be, uh, you know, blinded by my, by my, my growing, you know, by my, by my growing up. But um, at the end of the day, you know, the research, the, the research that I have found, and I can send you all of my links and all of my, all of my citations, and all that kind of stuff, if, if you really want it. But the research I have found has shown that really, you know, what's, what's being done in the, in the ag industry is not a bad thing. In terms of the environment, we could definitely get better and we are getting better. You know, there's, there's tons of technology out there that's improving our, our environmental impact. Um, you know, there's uh, most, or not, I'm not gonna say most, but a lot of dairies are developing methane digesters, uh, which will actually uh, convert their methane into a usable energy source instead of letting it go out into the atmosphere. There's a lot of uh, cover crops that are absorbing carbon and nitrogen from the atmosphere and putting it back into the soil to try to replenish some of that soil health. Um, there's, you know, we're even uh, genetically modifying, you know, crops that are able to replenish soil health and, you know, and, and improve the, you know, the carbon emissions around around the farms. Um, like we're, well, agriculture is like one of the, it's not, it's definitely not the most environmentally impactful, but it's, it's definitely up there. It's like maybe top five, probably even top three, I don't know. Um, but while we are one of the most environmentally impactful, we're also one of the a uh, few industries doing the most to try to reduce that that you know as much as possible because at the end of the day agriculture relies on the environment more than any more than any other industry out there so if agriculture kills the environment agriculture is going to die with it you know we we are literally the only industry that's relying on nature not just natural disasters but nature itself the soil the environment the weather the climate all of that stuff to work with us properly and so we really can't risk getting rid of that so agriculture yeah, you know, modern agriculture in terms of like the the um, the the amount of methane emissions and the amount of carbon dioxide emissions, and that kind of stuff was pretty high for a while, just because we didn't really know what we were doing. Now we're figuring out ways to try to reduce that kind of stuff. And we're, we're, we're wanting to do that, because if we don't, we're going to lose our industry, and we're going to lose our source of food, and we can't have either of those things happen. So I will say, you know, it's not great, but it is getting better by the day and technology is constantly evolving to try to reduce some of that stuff as much as possible. Well, I've, I've got like kind of basically like one final question. I think okay. this is kind of like the, the ending question I, I had in my back pocket because I'm, I'm really curious. And, um, you know, we're at the point now where we're starting to like genetically engineer meat. And uh, mm -hmm. I've, I read um, recently that I think they're predicting that like meat production may 
be able to like end by 2100. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe that's a little too close. Um, who knows? We'll see. But like, is if if we are able to grow meat, if we can stop raising animals and um, you know killing them, is, is that a, as somebody who you know uh, is involved in agriculture, is is that a future that you're interested in and that you would like to move toward, or no? You know, it's funny you ask that. I actually recorded an episode yesterday on lab-grown meat, and we talked about, you know for a solid hour on you know lab-grown meat and and you know the potential for it and the possible risks of it and uh, what it could mean for the future of the beef industry and that kind of stuff. Um, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for agriculture, obviously, because it's, you know, it's my home, but I'm also an advocate for the progression of food. And I'm not dumb, you know, I will acknowledge that we're uh, constantly, you know, seeing urban development at a rate that's going to eventually replace all of agriculture if we're not careful. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, you know, knock on wood, hopefully, but, and we're developing methods to try to, to try to fight back against that. You know, the EPA has some smart growth programs to try to prevent that kind of stuff. We're developing uh, new forms of agriculture, like vertical farming. Um, we're developing, you know, genetically modified crops that can increase yield so much that we don't even need as much, you know, acreage to be able to produce enough food. But as we grow closer to that date of not being able to grow as much food on as much land as we are going to need, we're going to have to get creative with how we're going to get our food. So I think that the lab grown meat thing isn't a bad thing at all. It's just something that's going to take some adjusting and I've, I've heard people that are fearful of it because they're worried that they're going to lose, you know, their family farms, that they're going to lose, you know, there's going to be tons of jobs lost in the process. Um, while that is something that, that sucks because I'm a bit of a traditionalist, I'm also on the side of as new technology develops, new jobs will open up. You know, people are just going to have to adapt their skill set and they're going to have to learn how to do new things. And we're already seeing that with the current ag industry. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, creative destruction mm -hmm. is um, inevitable in any field. Um, but, no, I, I think that kind of answers my question. And I, I have one more thing to do, I guess, before we part. I've got a little something prepared for you. Could you could you let me share my screen? Oh, could yeah. you enable screen sharing? I've got a little treat for everyone. Oh, God, I'm worried. Okay? Don't don't be worried. Just trust me. Uh, he's going to try, try and show us his poetry. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how do I give you screen sharing capabilities? If you, if you go down to the uh, the bottom where it says share screen, if you uh, share, would, would he, oh. if he right clicks on that or yeah, it should say it, allow everyone to share screen. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, think... I, I have it. Okay. Okay. Are you guys ready for this? I'm ready. Sure. Not, okay. Here is the picture of these kids eating their pet fish. Lovely. <laughs> okay. But oh, it gets better. Here we go. There's a. Uh... Oh, no. <laughs> Oh God, she's so upset. To and, Danny, oh, lovely. Pig. and they're starting like, hey kids, play with your here's your pet pig. And then they're just, where are you taking them? Oh no. So this. I know the listeners don't know what's going on other than Ian talking to little kids with, <laughs> but we're we're just thumbing through a bunch of pictures of some Korean kids absolutely sobbing in front of I guess what looks like a plate of <laughs> Puff fish with of some their, of their pet fish and pig. They're Japanese children, okay? Uh, okay, these are, okay. These are Japanese because uh, my wife wanted me to emphasize that South Korea wouldn't do anything this cruel. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, too good. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, well, there you go. I'm glad uh, we left on a, on a high note for us. It's certainly a low note for them, <laughs> but uh, you know, sucks to be them, rules to be us. Intriguing. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, that was so before I before I close out here, you know, kind of throwing your own question back at you. What do you guys think about the lab grown meat situation? Mm. I'm uh, totally uh, going to cut Shay off. I'm not going to answer. The question. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, Shay, go ahead. 
uh i have no problem with it at all um if i mean it doesn't i mean let me, let me i guess if it replaces the issues i have now with uh you know with uh the perceived threat to the environment personal like if you know i guess the only thing i can think of now is like if there's still maybe an issue of personal health that mm -hmm. you know the, um you know like uh plant-based I mean, according to like an article that came out in harvard like plant-based eating is recognized as not only nutritionally sufficient but it's also a way to reduce many chronic illnesses like uh for instance heart disease and cancer mm -hmm. um there's lower incidence among plant-based like anyway if i don't really care about that like i'm not trying to live to be like 125 like you know whatever but like i'm like decently healthy i'm still decently young maybe i'll change in like 15 years i'll be like ah, fuck i really don't want heart disease now you know <laughs> You know, uh, it doesn't seem like it would affect global health that much. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not you're not having like a ton of animals that can like infect mm -hmm. each other. And they're not they're not you know, there's no brain attached. Mm -hmm. So like the ethics in terms of animals, is fine. The ethics in terms of like slaughterhouse workers that like are constantly like with, uh, you know, citing Abusing bad workplace and yeah, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I'm for it, man. Like, and you know what, if like all these family farms could be retrained to like grow their own little, have their own little meat grow houses, you know, like that sounds fucking awesome. You know, like reeducate and uh, revitalize, re reduce, reuse, recycle. You know? <laughs> I, I think, I think for me, um, it's uh, once science sets itself in a direction, it seldom stops if, if ever. Um, so I think once now it's already uh, on the horizon, I think it's only a matter of time. And I think right, I, I, who knows what the rate of replacement will be. Maybe eating cows will be like the special thing. Like you go to a restaurant and like it, it'll become like a really expensive menu item or something like that. And it won't taste much better. And like some dad is like some grandpa's doing it. The grandkids are like, why does grandpa really love this cat? It doesn't even taste that good. He's like, you kids wouldn't understand. Back in the day, we used to, well, there were cows everywhere. We, we had to take them down a spiral staircase and shoot them in the head so they didn't see us. <laughs> oh my God. Like, grandpa, what are you talking about? <laughs> just, just let him eat his hamburger, kids. Just don't get grandpa's <laughs> it was 2020 in a reality tv person person was president um all right thanks <laughs> all right grandpa um so that's that's my answer that's the answer to the yeah I'm, I'm i'm for it uh and i think who knows when i don't think it'll be in our lifetimes but if we don't manage to make ourselves go extinct i, I do think it'll be the norm they'll be like what do we even need cows for so it'll become like a like a like opera. It won't disappear, but not that many people will be into it anymore. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, I think that's a good. You know, I, there's you know a ton more to talk about on this issue because there's just there's always more to talk about, and there yeah, are some no. things that I didn't uh, totally address, but we're you know cutting it a little short on time. I don't want to keep you guys for too much longer, so we may even do a part two at some point just because of how Ooh, much there's sure. to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that that kind of covers everything that you know was was uh, worth covering in this little this little conversation. So unless you guys have anything else to add, um, I'll kind of give you guys the, the floor to, you know, promote your, promote your podcast and do anything else you want to, you want to plug. Well, thanks I'm for the smart us, one. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that famous Ian ego coming out. Again. <laughs> so, uh, no, but Brandon, thank you so much. Uh, it was, it was really fascinating talking to you about this, you know, it, you know, like, again, I mean, and I guess to talk about our podcast too, like the entire premise of our podcast is to, put ourselves out of our comfort zone and try things that we don't normally do. Um, you know, obviously being a vegetarian for, for as long as I have. 
have been like talking to someone who's like a big part of uh, agriculture and animal agriculture. Like there's an implicit, uh, you know, difference there in talking about ideas, which mm -hmm. is always refreshing. Um, so if you like this kind of stuff, we, we've done immersions into really wacky things. Um, Ian, you want to tell them about some of the weirder immersions we've done? I knew you were going to hand this one off to me. Now I have to be the bad guy. Um, so, I mean, talk, yeah, talk about, this is where the uh, NSFW attack comes on. So, I mean, one of our, I think, con most controversial episodes was we microdosed LSD for a month to see if it really did have, like, um, uh, beneficial cognitive properties. Right. We have tried uh, demon summoning. We have live streamed our lives for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, we recently just delved into, uh, you know, QAnon. So with everything that just happened in terms of like the storming of the Capitol, like there was a lot of that on these forums, a lot of like really wacky ideas about lizard people and, um, you know, clones. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Ape Coon let us know that the Donald Trump is actually a clone now. So um, you can learn uh, all sorts of fun facts like that. That's not, that's not a belief we have on our podcast. I don't want to like confuse people. Like, Wait a minute, what do they believe? That's something we saw that we discussed. It's not something uh, I hold dear to my heart. Um, but yeah, you can find weird stuff like that on our show. Um, you know, comment, as Shay lovingly puts it, it's comedy education. When we're not being funny, it's uh, education. When we're uh, not being educational, we're being funny, or that's the excuse for why we're neither of those things. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we also we also get a lot of experts, um, which is always really fun for us. So we uh, you know we've talked to UN diplomats, we've talked to high priestesses of demonolatry, we've talked to um, editors from lead uh, New York magazines, from uh, one of the most popular fashion magazines in South Korea. Uh, I mean, okay. everything, research writers from Max Planck Institute. So uh, we, we learned, you learned. We just had a war reporter on too. We so just had a cool. dope war reporter. He was so smart. Um, anyway, that's our show. It's called Camp Reeducation. You can go to campreeducation.com. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us in our bedrooms, hanging out, just holding hands and singing songs. So if you want any more of that, <laughs> just look us up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially that last part, right? All right. Well, uh, uh, anyway, Brendan, thank you so much for having us on and, and letting us talk your head off, man. You're, you're such a nice, like, smart, knowledgeable guy. Like, I, I had a great time with you. I, I enjoyed listening to your podcast before you had us on. I was like, it, it's it's really cool to kind of connect with someone who who knows about like the the garbage I'm putting on my body. I know Shay's really conscious, but I mean, like, literally earlier, I had like kettle corn, smoked salmon, and there's some chocolate ice cream in the fridge just waiting for me. Okay, so. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much for joining me. It's sure been a pleasure. And I really appreciate just the whole because I mean, I've I've been trying to get people on here to talk about things that I, you know, basically to, to challenge my beliefs, you know, give me give me a bit of a challenge in terms of conversation, because people typically people come on here and just, you know, ask questions and just want to learn stuff, which is great. That's what I'm here for. But, you know, if it's always nice to get like, you know, it's like you said, Shay, having someone on here to kind of challenge your beliefs a little bit and, you know, do a little bit of intellectual sparring. It's always fun. And I really appreciate you guys being, you know, civil about it. You know, even if you disagree with some of the things I say, you know, you don't bite my head off about it. That's always nice to hear. And I hope that I was respectful, you know, in, in return. Oh, absolutely. Of course, man. Of course. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, if, if there's more you guys want to talk about, which like I said, there's always more to talk about on stuff like this, you know, you're more than welcome to come back on for another episode and we can, you know, spar some more. Um, but yeah, you know, it's sure been a pleasure to have you guys on. I definitely enjoyed it. I hope you guys did. And all of my listeners I'm sure did as well. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much. And I'll put all your links down in the description so they can go find you and, and check out all of your crazy, wacky, fun stuff. <laughs> I, I, I know I will be uh, tuning in. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah thanks. so you know thanks again to you guys thanks to all my listeners for tuning in hope to see you all next week and don't forget if you wait today thank a farmer mm -hmm.